Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on today's episode, a lengthy sit down with Stan Bowman to hear firsthand about the message the organization sent out last week about the future of the team and what you can expect from the on ice product not only this season, but in the coming years. All that and more coming up on Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. Everyone loves a hat trick, while your local Chevy dealer has a hat trick to get your attention. If you're in need of a new vehicle but don't want to visit a dealership, check out Chevy's Shop, Click, and Drive. Shop online 24-7, Take delivery at home. It's simple, it's seamless, it's safe, it's smart. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to locate your Chevy dealer and schedule a test drive today. Shop, click, and drive. Drive what Canaan Tapes drive. Welcome into Blackhawks Insider. We are pleased to be joined today by none other than Blackhawks Senior Vice President and General Manager Stan Bowman. Stan, first off, I know it's been a a busy few weeks for you, not only with the NHL draft, free agency following it, and then last week it seems like you were on every radio show, podcast, newspaper, online publication. You've been talking (laughs) quite a bit. Have you recovered over uh, over the weekend, and and how are you doing today? Yes, uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, Good to be here with you and uh, looking forward to it. It has been a busy time, uh, but at the same time, it's it's exciting to be able to not only get through the draft and the free agency, but to talk about where we're headed as an organization. So uh, I'm excited. We also have Adam Burris joining us as always. And Burr, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with this appearance, Stan might once again surpass Patrick Sharp as our most regular guest over the last year plus. Yeah, we got to knock Sharpie down a little <laughs> bit. So it's nice to have uh Nice to have some inside uh, with Stan on the podcast, and I know Stan's been been busy in the in the media tour, um, and then the draft. Uh, I, I just want to start, Stan. I got to uh, get a little inside peek of the on the clock that the Blackhawks do, the behind the scenes of the draft, and I'm always amazed at you know the work that you guys do ahead of time and almost predicting. Like in the NFL, they have Mel Kiper predicting the draft, and um, I saw you guys had your draft board and who you wanted to pick, and you know picking. 10 to 15 to 10 to 20 seems like a tough spot to predict. Seems like you guys absolutely nailed the draft, what you guys wanted, what was going to happen. Uh, was that the feeling you guys kind of had coming out of the draft? Yeah, I, I was actually really impressed with the, all the extra work the guys did. You know, normally the draft would have been in June and it was such a strange year with no hockey after March. And that's usually an important part of the year for the draft with tournaments and uh, playoffs. So our guys had to do a lot of extra work and you're right. They were, they were right on top of it. They had a, a great feel for the players as well as what other teams were looking to do. And uh, I felt really pleased with the performance of our group uh, stepping up in a difficult time. Um, your This year's draft was unlike any other in, in terms of how much these players were scouted and, you know, not as many live viewings, but probably way more video than's ever been scouted before. So a lot of opportunity to talk to them between, you know, March and October. So it was a, it was a fun process to be part of, uh, you know, a lot more things online than we ever had before. Uh, but 
Uh, I thought the guys did a fantastic job. Mark Kelly and his group was uh, really well prepared. And that's exciting that that draft day, you know, if, if you watch that episode of On the Clock, I think you'll see that uh, there was a lot of things happening in the moment. And that's that's the pressure cooker of the draft is, you know, you're trying to, like you said, between 10 and 20, there's some variability. Like we had picked earlier the last two drafts and it's a little easier when you're picking third or eighth. There's only a few guys that you have to focus on. This year it was tougher for us and I thought the guys did a great job. You touched on it. I mean, picking third last year, you you really have your pick of the litter. Everyone knows who's going one and two in, in 2019. You can take Kirby Doc. You know he's going to be there. But you can see in that episode of On the Clock and the, the series finale or season finale of that uh, live now on Blackhawks.com for anyone who wants to go get that behind-the-scenes look at what it was like on draft day inside the Blackhawks war room. But in that episode, you're talking about Lucas Reichel going into the draft. You had your eyes on him. How nice was it to be able to see him come down to you guys uh, at 17 and be able to take a guy who you said before the draft even started, you'd be thrilled if he were there still waiting. Not that you maybe didn't want some of those guys in the top five and the impact that they could have had, but to have your eyes set on someone and see him still be there when your time is, when you're, when you're on the clock. That's true. That was pretty neat. And there were a lot of really attractive players this year, as there are every year. I think that's what you get excited about. You spend all this time watching these guys and you envision how they could help your team. Uh, but you're right. We were on to Lucas you know, from the first game of last year when we were that exhibition game in Berlin. Uh, he was on my radar going into that game and you noticed him in the game and then you watched him progress. It was it was something that was always in the back of your mind because I had seen him early in the year in person, which is unusual for the European players. You know, usually I don't get a chance to see them until later in the year. So uh, I could see his progression. I went back in January uh, to do some scouting and I was able to see him live as well. And it was really impressive to see the progress he made just in those few months. And uh, no, and you look ahead to where he could be in a couple of years. I think he's he's got a lot of improvement ahead of him. You know, he's really just starting his uh, ascent to the NHL. I think you know some guys have been the the top players since they're twelve and thirteen, and Lucas has always been a good player, but uh, you know he's never been the top player. So I think his best days are still ahead of him, and that's what's most exciting is watching and. Uh, yeah, on the way to the draft, I, I was talking, you know, in on the car ride there, and he was one of the names that came up. And you know, you're kind of hoping that things fall your way, and and he could become a Blackhawk. And sure enough, it panned out like that. When you got a flip, then almost right away to free agency stuff coming. Then um, obviously that that you know two days, you're really focused on the draft, and and obviously I'm sure you're getting phone calls about current players you have and NHL players and, and trades and understanding free agency coming up. So now you got to turn the page and you got to get right to free agency. What was, I know you guys are ultra prepared. I get to, I get to see that, but when you turn that page, what was, what did the focus then become drafts done? Now we got to focus on free agency, more NHL players are moving prospects, but what was, what was internally, what was the focus then getting into that kind of next phase? Uh, a couple of things we were looking to you know, achieve that, that weekend, um, you know, with free agency opening on the Friday uh, you know, you have to make connection right away with the agents. There was no interview period this year. So 
you had to make it known of the players that you had interest in. You had to, as soon as things opened up on Friday, you had to contact the agents and express your interest in the player. And there's always multiple scenarios though. So it was the, the free agent market as well as the trade market. And, you know, we can, we can cover some of that today on this episode, you know, talking about the trades we made and uh, the, the players that we added. So I would say it was a, a two-pronged approach. It was, uh, you know, talking to other general managers to find out s- sometimes what happens is they they acquire a player via free agency, which then makes one of their players available via trade. Uh, so it's uh, you can't just go all in on free agency or all in on the trade market. You kind of have to keep both of them warm. And that's what we did over those next couple of days. It was a lot of very busy time for my staff uh, to talk through all these different options that were presented to us. And, you know, some things we, we ran it out and we got really close to the end and then it, it kind of fell apart. Uh, and other things we were able to close the deal, uh, you know, like the trade with Colorado and a couple free agent signings. So uh, it's a bit of a frantic period because, you know, there's time is of the essence and you also have to look at the different, options as far as, you know, can you make a trade as opposed to a free agency? So uh, I kept us busy uh, and it was, it was an exciting time. We'll talk about some of those moves, but I think it's important to maybe jump ahead to last week and the organization sending out a letter to the fans, kind of explaining some of those moves that did take place and um, really framing it in, in the light of what the future of this team looks like. And I want to read a line out of there that um, I, I think really steps steps back and really takes a bigger picture look at what all is going to be taking place and what has already been taking place. It says, we're committed to developing young players and rebuilding our roster. We want more than another window to win. We want to reach the summit again and stay there. And, and then it goes on to say, the influx of youth and their progression will provide roster flexibility and depth throughout our lineup. And Stan, I think it's important um, and one of the things that you've been saying since last week when this, when this letter went out to the fan base and to everyone else is this is not a change in direction from what has been taking place in the last few years. This is just some more transparency of what's going on behind the scenes. We've already seen this youth movement start to take place with Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist, maybe a little earlier than projected when you took those guys. You didn't fully expect them to be full-time NHLers last season, but This is something that's already been in progress, and this is kind of phase two of that, where it's going to be tough to see guys like Corey Crawford and Brandon Saad go play elsewhere. But as you're starting to build this roster, retool this roster for one, two, three years from now, those are some of the moves that have to start taking place in order to get to that point as you're developing some of these young guys. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to hit on that is the – importance of um, investing in young players and you know giving them the opportunity to grow understanding that it's not always going to be a straight line moving up of success there's going to be some bumps in the road but by when you say investing in young players you have to continually do that so this is not something that we're looking to do just in the next year and then at that point we go with we develop them into sort of established players and then we lean on them for a couple of years. I think that's maybe hasn't been talked about enough, but I see this as a constant process going forward. So even 
as you fast forward three years and you know, we've been able to move ourselves up and we're in the top group of teams, even at that time, we have to continue to invest in young players and incorporate them so that uh, you're always going to have um, emerging players, even when you're a top team in the league and even when you're a contender for the Stanley Cup, you have to have uh, the willingness to lean on young players who aren't finished products yet. Uh, because I think that's the ticket to trying to remain a competitive team and not just this window to win, like like you referred to in the letter. So uh, what does that look like? Well, you're right. We haven't, we haven't changed our approach in terms of using young players. This is something that's been ongoing. Uh, I think if anything, we're going to continue it uh, to an even larger degree, and we're going to be more open and transparent about what we're doing as opposed to in the past. I think we just did it. We just played, uh, you know, last year we, we played Kirby and Adam Boquist. And prior to that, we played to uh, So I think now we're going to talk about why we're doing it. And some other young players are going to get an opportunity this season or next season. Um, there's going to be a lot of them as opposed to, you know, bringing in a veteran laden team. Stan, for me, uh, I guess more of a statement, then I'll let you kind of um, take it where you want. But I, I think back to 2005, 2006 in Chicago, 6, 7, 7, 8, when it was a bunch of young guys coming in, getting an opportunity to play minutes, um, guys that you know fans in Chicago had never heard of, Dustin Bufflin. Um, you know, the, the, list, the list is really, really long of guys that ended up to win a Stanley Cup in 2010. Um Adam Burrish was on that list, you know, the killer bees. Yeah. Bickle, Barker, Brower, uh, Frazier. Um, and I think back to those times and while we, two of those years, we missed the playoffs. Um, a lot of us were getting opportunities to play. And I think at that time, it, at least for me, it felt like fans enjoyed coming to those games because you had a bunch of hungry young guys that were going out there and playing their tails off, trying to get a contract, trying to stay in the league and I, I think you would have to agree that the pressure falls on you as the general manager then to make sure you're finding those young, hungry guys. And I've heard you say, and, and everybody knows this, that 10 out of 10 aren't going to hit. But if you can hit you know, three or four or five out of 10 of those guys, you're going to have a pretty good roster. And it sounds like that's kind of what you guys are, are doing. And I played on other teams, too, when we'd go match up against a, a young up-and-coming team that would blow us out of the water because a veteran team, you kind of go out there and, and sometimes go through the motions a little bit and you get some young hungry guys and they smack you in the mouth and um, their crowd goes crazy. It's exciting. And then that's how you, you kind of build something back. Is that, is that the feel that you're kind of getting here or the kind of the message you're trying to send out that a rebuild doesn't always mean, Hey, we're going to lose every game. I can tell you right now, I know Patrick Kane, he's going to go out there and want to put a show on. And so is Jonathan Taves when they get out there, a rebuild doesn't mean I'm going to lay down and lose every night. That's exactly right, Adam. You hit on a lot of important points there that I'll expound on. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a good parallel looking back in time to those those years before we were an established team that was in the top. You know, it was a pretty quick ascension for the Blackhawk group. You know, they they had missed the playoffs all those years, and then the, the first year they made the playoffs, they went to the conference finals against the Red Wings, and then the next year they won the cup. So. You know, they, it, it ramped up pretty quickly. Um, but those years when they were ramping up, um, you, you could see it turning as this young group was all coming into the league at the same time. Um, you know, certainly Taves and Kane, 
they they were new and they came right to the NHL. Jonathan had come out of college. Uh, he went back for a year after he was drafted. Patrick came right to the NHL. But there was the other group that you were part of that had been together in Norfolk, and you know they they kind of came up as a as a group. And there were certainly some veterans surrounding them, you know, that were on the team already. But I think it, it's something that you need. You need to have young plays, players come in. And, you know, we still have those veterans that you mentioned. I mean, Kane and Taves and Keith and Sieves, those guys are still around. And, you know, they still want to make a difference. They want to win. They know what it takes to win. That, that's the different, you know, these young guys, they have a lot of excitement and energy. They don't really know what it all about they've never been in the league or they're just getting acclimated to the league so i think there's value in having both sides of it you don't have to have all of one or all of the other right right i i think back after i left chicago i played in dallas the following season and we went to game 82 of that season we had to win one game to make the playoffs we played the minnesota wild it was before the minnesota wild started being in the playoffs every year. I mean, they've never won cups, but they've been a, a staple playoff team every year. And we need to win one game. Their four of their top players were injured. They called up all these young guys that are now regulars in the NHL. And our team couldn't win one game against a, a minor league team of call-up guys because they were so hungry. And it was if I was a Wild fan, I would have thought, man, that was a fun team to watch. These guys are hungry. Uh, they played angry. And uh, I, I just think back to that. And I think that's important for, for fans and people to understand that um, it, it sometimes can be a lot of fun and, and people that want physical hockey. And I guess we can get into a little bit of the, of the trade with Brandon Saad in Colorado and getting some physical presence and getting a little bit of bite on your team. And you get some young guys that have some bite and some hunger um, that can be contagious throughout your team. And I'm guessing that's a little bit of, of what happened in that Colorado trade for you also. Yes. I think that's, that's a good segue into the next topic here, which is to talk about how our team's going to look a little different next year, uh, in particular on the defensive side. So, you know, going into this off season, uh, one of the things we were hoping to address was to find uh, a defensive player that could be a good def- partner for our young right-handed defenseman in Boquist and Ian Mitchell. So, you know, Ian's someone that the Hawk fans aren't too familiar with because he hasn't been here yet. But if you're, Following our prospects, I think you'll know that name. He, he's a guy that has been our top prospect for a couple of years here and went back to Denver for his junior year. He was captain of the team. Uh, and I thought he was ready a year ago to be an NHL player, but he wanted to take one more shot at the college championship and went back. So now he's going to be turning pro. I expect him to be on our team. So he's got a similar skill set to Boquist, both very offensive, very good skaters. Um, quick uh, right-hand shot, a smaller side. Uh, and I think looking at that, we were looking around the league and the guy that we felt was a really kind of the perfect match for that type of player was Nikita Zadorov in Colorado. So we had conversations with them. Now he's a player that we've inquired upon several times over the last couple of years. And he, he was never somebody that they were going to trade. Um, and, in particular, I know he wasn't somebody that they wanted to trade to Chicago in their own division just because of his mm. style. Uh, he's a, he's a big man and he's about six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and thirty pounds, uh, and he enjoys the physical part of the game. Uh, but he's a he's a good hockey player too. Like he's a, a really sound defensive player, uh, good skater for a guy that size, and 
you know, he can make, he can make a pass. He's got uh, a well-rounded game, but he certainly uh, is skewed more to the defensive side and being kind of a shutdown player. Uh, but he also enjoys, you know, being hard on players. I know when we played him, he would, he gave Patrick Kane a tough time. He wasn't uh, going to give him a free pass on anything. And, you know, he's not afraid of, of when you do, when you play that way as, as an NHL defenseman, you, you gotta, you're going to get the attention of the other team when you are physical on their top players. But, you know, some, some guys don't like to do that. They don't necessarily want to deal with all that extra attention, but he doesn't seem to care. He just plays his game uh, and he's hard to play against. So th- that's an element we haven't had. And uh, I think he can be a nice compliment. It's going to help accelerate the progress and development of Mitchell and Boquist. You know, he, he may not be partnered with those guys all the time, but I'm sure he will occasionally be with them uh, throughout the season. And I think just that presence on the back end is important. And he's got 300 NHL games under his belt, another 30-some playoff games as well, but he's only 25 years old. I think there's maybe a a misconception out there that he's an older player, he's kind of not someone that's going to develop, but this is a guy who, he's an RFA after this coming season, I believe, but he's a guy who could potentially be a big part of this team for much longer than that because he's still got a pretty high ceiling. He's only he said himself he's got some stuff he needs to work on in his game to kind of reach that elite level, but he's still a young player and especially his defensemen go, someone who could continue to grow into this league and, and into a role with this organization. I look at it the same way, Carter. I, I think it's true people have a, maybe a different idea of his uh, where he's at in his career, but I think he's just starting the, the prime years for him. Uh, he does have a lot of experience. He came in at a young age and in, into the league and as a defenseman, that's hard. He was a, you know, he was a high pick in the draft and he came right into, into Buffalo. And then he was part of the, the trade there, uh, a big trade. And he was kind of one of the big centerpieces going to Colorado. So uh, he's been given a, a prime role at a young age, but I think he's He's now maturing and he's uh, still got a lot of good years ahead of him. For a defenseman, 25 years old is really just when they're starting to to feel comfortable in the league, I think. So I agree. I mean, he's he still wants to get better. He wants to reach a new level in his game. And, and that's exciting to hear. And we want to be part of bringing him to that next level. And on the flip side of that deal, you've got Brandon Saad, who obviously has been a key part of this team during two stints. Uh, with the Blackhawks, but a player who's a f- unrestricted free agent after next season, carrying a $6 million salary, someone who, as you continue to look towards the future and look at some of these young guys, I mean, Kirby Doc's going to be uh, coming up on his second contract in two years, as is Adam Boquist. Some of these young guys, as you start to look at the cap, he's probably someone that in all reality, you may not be able to keep in a year. So not only do you get a key piece in Zadorov as a return for that, but you, you quite frankly set him up on a really strong Colorado team, take care of someone who has meant a lot to this organization and also help clear some cap space that you might not be able to get any return on in the matter of a year. Yeah, those are all important points to, to you know, build upon. I think Brandon has been a great Blackhawk here two times over. I mean, I really like the way he, he's, he's sort of a, it doesn't get all the accolades. He just goes about his business every day. And, um, you know, he's a great two-way player. So uh, we wish him well and we appreciate everything he did. Uh, he was a big part of the success we've had here. 
but you know, you have to look at the status where he's at with, with his contract and where he'll be at the end of the season. And, you know, we, we looked at it pretty closely and what certainly we could have extended his contract, um, and kept him cause he, he's, he's a good player. Uh, but we looked into it and, you know, the amount of money we'd have to invest in him on, you know, m- multiple, multiple years, like he's still in his late twenties. So he's one of these free agents that's probably going to get, you know, multi-year deal. And I don't know how the market's going to shake out, but he's probably going to be close to where he is now, whether he's a little bit less or a little bit more, he's going to be between that five and $7 million range on a multi-year deal. So when that's the case, um, that money is something that it would be a challenge for us in, in the future, maybe not in the present because he was already at 6 million. But when you start projecting out a couple of years, like you said, Kirby and, and Boquist are going to need new contracts and other players as well are going to emerge. Uh, don't know which ones, but some of these guys are going to take a step forward in the next two years and they're going to need some money. So with the cap staying flat for the next couple of seasons, um, at a minimum, potentially longer with uh, how the revenues go. Uh, we just felt this made a lot of sense. And uh, that was the thought process that went into it. And I like how you framed it, I think, in one of your interviews last week. You said it's not only just that trade, the, the two-for-one trade. Uh, you get a defensive prospect back as well, or two-for-two, two, Dennis Gilbert also going to Colorado in that deal. But you have to complement that deal with, I think, your biggest splash in the free agent marking or market signing Matthias Yanmark, who has a lot of the same um, qualities of a guy like Brandon Saad, obviously at a lower cap hit, and someone who's also kind of been around the league for a few years now and has made a name for himself. What do you like about him and, and his ability to step into this roster and really kind of complete that deal um, outside of the actual trade? Yeah, that that's maybe overlooked. I think, you know, certainly we had an opening at forward when we traded Brandon, uh, but we were able to go into the free agent market. So that was one of the agents that I contacted right away when free agency opened and checked in on Yanmark. And, uh, you know, I let it be known that we were very interested, but uh, we were going to have to work on some other things first. And, you know, they luckily they were patient. They had you know, several teams interested, but, uh, you know, I was – impressed that he really was interested in being in Chicago. You know, he had certainly the agent was pushing Friday night, Saturday morning. And I I said, like, you got to give me a little bit more time here because we were working on that deal with Colorado. Uh, It finally came to be later in the day on the Saturday. And um, then we were able to talk about adding Matias. And I got a chance to talk to him. Jeremy and I had a conversation with him and explained how we saw his game. And I, I think there are some parallels between Yanmark and Brandon Saad. Uh, certainly the style of game they play, it's, it's a two-way game. They can score. Uh, they've got enough skill and talent to play with offensive players. So I think that's important because um, sometimes if you, if you put a player with a skill guy and, and they can't continue the play, it can get frustrating for those, those offensive guys. They want to continue the play in the offensive zone. They don't want the play to end with, with their line mate. So Matias has that ability, but he's really a a strong two-way player. He's been used more in the defensive role the last couple of years, in particular in the playoffs this year. I got a chance to see him up close in person at, in the bubble. 
And he was a big part of that Dallas team. It was a reason that they had some success. There were certainly, you know, guys that got a lot of attention, you know, Klingberg and Jamie Benn and uh, Gurionov and those kind of guys that they did a lot of the heavy lifting offensively. But Yanmark played a, an important role in their, their team, whether it's penalty killing or late in games when they've got the lead and they need someone to do the right thing and get the puck out and uh, make good reads. So I think that's what he brings to the table. He, he's going to be a versatile player. He can score. His first couple of years in the league, he was more offensive than he's shown recently. But in talking to him, that's something he's looking to get back into his game. He wants to be able to contribute more, and uh, he thinks he can do it, and we think he can, given the right opportunity. Stan, the other uh, big decision you guys made was in net and with Corey Crawford. Can you talk us through – uh, what happened in that situation uh, with why the decision that you made? And then um, I guess the second part would be, what do you see in net this year? And who do, who do you anticipate being the starting goalie for the Blackhawks when hockey starts back up again? Well, the, with Corey, uh, we did discuss uh, with him early in the off season. So we came back from Edmonton. We had a conversation with the agent. And at the time, we were focused on a short-term deal, meaning one year. Uh, so we talked to them about that. You know, that didn't really interest them. They were looking for a longer term, uh, two years minimum. And, you know, we so when we, we went and looked at how that would play out with us, could we make it work? And uh, it wasn't that we couldn't do it. But as we reflected on things, we felt the right decision was to keep things shorter. Uh, you know, it's clear that Corey is still a good NHL goaltender. He had a good season last year. Um, the thing though, is we know that Corey's not going to be our goalie of the future, just given his age is, you know, he's coming up on 36 years old. So, you know, he's not going to be the goalie for the next five to 10 years for our team. So we need to find that goalie. And the problem, if you sign Corey to multiple years, you're going to have to invest some money in him, whatever it is, three, four, four or 5 million, somewhere in that range. And then at, at the, after one year, you know, if there's a young goalie that is a, a prominent young goalie that's available, you're not really in that market as much as people think, well, you could still just add him and don't worry about it. You've got Corey for another year, but you can just deal with it. That's really hard to pull off. And uh, I've seen today the cap situation is more challenging, I think, than people realize. And that's why you're seeing so many teams right now so reluctant there's some still some pretty good free agents available right now. Yeah. But you know what? There's a lot of teams that just don't have money, or if they do, they don't want to put themselves in a position. So, you know, back to your question, I think that that was the, the one year was important for us. And we, we wanted that flexibility. Like if you look at the the players we brought in, they're all in one year deals. So we can move a couple different directions. We can certainly extend Yanmark or Lucas Walmark. Um and we very well might do that. Or if a young player emerges that we think needs uh, a larger role, then we have the flexibility to do something different. We're not making that decision today. We don't have all the information. Let's make that decision at the end of this year when we have more options. So uh, that's how the decision came to be. And we have these three young goalies here and we want to see what we have in them. We've never really given them an an opportunity to really take a step forward. They've always been behind Crawford in the last couple of years. 
you know, whether Colin Delia came up when Corey was injured uh, two years ago and, you know, missed the, the half the season. Uh, so Colin got his opportunity. And, you know, I think he filled in pretty well in, in a somewhat of a brief stint. Uh, but a lot of times that's how it happens for goalies. They have to come up out of the minors and out of necessity, you just give them a chance to play. Um, and we did that with him. And then he followed that up with another good season this year in the American League. Lankin and Delia and Malcolm Subban, they've all been all-stars at the American League level. So it's not like uh, they haven't performed well. They just haven't done it on the NHL stage, which is, you know, that that's obviously a big step up. So we want to see if they can do it. But they've shown they can be impact goalies. We just need them to do it at the NHL level. You like all three of them, obviously. And I think it's it's pretty clear it's going to be a relatively open competition in camp. I think you could say Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia maybe have a slight half step ahead with just a little bit more NHL experience under their belts. But what do each of the three bring to this roster in a different manner? What's kind of the defining aspect of each one of them and what they can provide to this team uh, when they are in goal? Well, yeah, I mean, Kevin Lankin, it might be the not as well known as, as Subban or Delia, but he had the really big uh, year. It would have been about a year and a half ago at the world championships. So he took team Finland uh, all the way to the title and he was the guy that they rode. You know, they had, uh, they had some good NHL players on that team, but they also were, uh, there was a lot of unheralded guys too, you know, guys who just play in the Finnish league or in the KHL and they beat the top teams in the world, and he was the goalie doing it. So he had to be very sharp over that tournament, and I think he showed that he could be the guy uh, against top competition. Like He did it in a, in a short stint in a tournament setting, um, but uh, and then he came over and uh, he, he got off to a great start last year. Then he ran into some injury troubles, um, missed some time, uh, but he rehabbed and he was ready for our experience in the bubble. So I think they're, they're all different styles. Um, you know, I think Malcolm's got the most experience at the NHL level and you know, he's played 60 some odd games. Uh, and you know, he was working his way up. He was about to get his chance in Boston after being in the minors for a couple of years. And then the expansion draft came um, and uh, he was, he was added. I think he was taken off waivers, but he was added to the team in Vegas when uh, Flurry came over from Pittsburgh. So he never really got his chance there either. He would, you know, play the as a backup does more of the back-to-back outings. He didn't get a lot of opportunity to run with the net himself. Um, so I think what's what's lacking in those goalies is just the opportunity to show that they can take the ball and run with it. So. As we go into camp this year, it really is an open competition. We're not having a favorite going into it. Um, we've told the guys we want them to come for the best two goalies will will be here, and then the third one will be ready in Rockford. And I think, you know, we need more than just one or two goalies. I think if you look around the league, it's changing somewhat. I mean, certainly last year. Tampa Bay was probably the only team that used one goalie the whole way through. Everyone else used at least two. Uh, in Dallas, they made it there with essentially their backup and Hudobin. So I think we need more than just one. Um, we certainly want one of these guys to take the biggest step forward, but we really need all three of them to be 
to be at the top of their game. Maybe to put put a bow on this entire conversation, um, next week, I believe, is going to be Jeremy Colleton's two-year anniversary of being named head coach. Um, a guy who you've touted from the beginning as someone who can develop these young players, who's really good with some of these young guys. What do you like about the way Colleton operates and the way he kind of can develop that talent in particular with the way this team is headed with a lot of these young guys coming up and you mentioned the ups and the downs and everything that's going to come forth over the next year or two with some of these younger guys as they start to break into the NHL. What do you like about um, this cohesion on the coaching front with where this roster is at? Well, when I first got to know Jeremy, the thing I was impressed with was his ability to get the most out of players uh, and work with uh, younger players to help them maximize their game. You know, I, uh, I saw it, him do it in Sweden and then we brought him over to work with our players in Rockford. And that first year he was in Rockford, they made it to the, the final four in the, uh, in the American league playoffs. And, you know, we, it was not really a team that was full of high prospects. I think there were, there were a few on that team. There were actually some older players, um, uh, it was Lance Buma, Cody France, and some guys who had been in Chicago and we sent down. And, you know, that, that, that's tough sometimes for a veteran player to go to the minors. Uh, they don't want to be there and they're disappointed they're not in the NHL. And I was really impressed with, you know, some of the feedback I got from those guys. They were they were energized. I mean, they, had, they said they never had so much fun playing down the stretch in the American League, believe it or not. And these guys have been in the NHL for a long time. But uh, they really saw what Jeremy was doing. So I think, you know, his biggest uh, asset is his communication and his connection with the younger players. But even some of those veterans understood what he was doing and, you know, why it made sense to approach it the way he was. And, you know, I remembered that. And then you know, we made the change the next year in, in November. And uh, I had a comfort level that Jeremy, you know, I, I kind of saw our team heading in that direction in the coming years to, to be using more and more young players to rely on getting the most out of those players. And I think that's what Jeremy does well. He communicates well. He understands what it takes to have a relationship with the player and you know, give them the feedback they need and then give them the opportunity to show the coach that they're taking that into their game and incorporating it. And then if it doesn't work, you know, he'll, he'll pull them out. He'll, but you know, if he takes a player out of the lineup and it, it's a healthy scratch, I think there's this perception that that's just, it's like the, you're wearing a scarlet letter around your neck and like, wow, what, what a disappointment. But Jeremy's always had a different approach. It's, you know, sometimes that's what the player needs because you give them the feedback, you, you tell them what you need them to do, they, they, you show them video, they say they understand it, then the game happens and they don't do it yet again. So sometimes it takes that, taking them out of the lineup. And, but then when the, the, the key thing for me is after that's over, so they've sat out a game, then back to work the next day, then it's all right now you and I are working together to get you back on track and let's let's try again here's what we're talking about this is what we need you to do let's go work out it in practice and then put them back in there and give them a chance in the next game 
And I think that's the process that's going to play itself out. And I think Jeremy's very good at that process. And it can be, it can be frustrating for coaches when they, they try, they see something in a player, but they only see small glimpses of it. They don't see enough of it. But what they do see, they like. And they know if they can get it more often, it can help the team. And I think that's what Jeremy's always focused on. He's done a very good job of working with the players to get them to be their best. And it's a different style than it was, you know, when Adam was breaking in, it was more, you take a guy out of the lineup, you're sending a message and you're telling him you better be better next game or you're not going to play. And then the player has to figure out what does that mean? Be better. Okay. They just, they work harder, but sometimes it's not working harder. Sometimes it's not just more effort. Sometimes it's actually certain things in their game that the coach is looking for. So it it's just different now than it was 10 years ago. And Burr, as someone who's seen both sides of it, what is that evolution from a, from a coaching standpoint? I mean, how, how, like Stan said, how different is that? And do you think maybe that's in a better place for the game in terms of developing this young talent in a league that has so many young players? I think Stan nailed that. And I, when I was coming to the league, that's exactly what it was, is you'd sit out a game and uh, you'd basically be you're just, your number wasn't on the board uh, for the lineup that morning of morning skate. And then the coach would just say, you're sitting out. Uh, maybe we want you to be more physical. Or uh, you had a turnover, a couple turnovers last game. and just want you to watch. And that'd be kind of it. And you just, okay, great. I'm going to go out there and you know get in the gym and I'm going to do an extra skate after. And you kind of just wait until you show up one day and your number's back on the board. And I think – it's different now where you, you see the skill level is so much higher and the players are so much better. I think some of that is because the communication is different and they're working in more individually with these guys. There's more one-on-one time with guys um, that these younger coaches are, are, are more developmental now, maybe in the NHL than it ever has been. Um, and I think if you see, if you watch games now, that's probably a big reason why the game, there's so much more skill and it's so much faster and, and I think that's why you see we, we, we've just heard for the last 40 minutes from Stan trying to develop young guys and pick out certain skill sets and um, fitting a team together that way. And I think the game's changed that way. And I think is that kind of what you're saying, Stan, is that there is more one-on-one time with the coach. And that's that that's so much more valuable now probably than it, than it ever has been in hockey. I think that's true. And the other part I'll add to that is the, the this has evolved out of necessity. I don't even know if it's necessarily right or wrong it's just the way it is and you know it's the nhl is at the at the end of the day it's it's not a developmental league however um it's a much more of a developmental league than it was 10 years ago and that's really because of the salary cap so what's happened is the cap has has slowly in the last few years it's it's stalled out now it's definitely stalled out for two years for sure but even the last couple of years, it's, it's had increases, but they've been very minimal. But at the same time, we're seeing huge increases in young players' compensation from their, you know, the star players are going from 800000 to $11 million in one year. That never happened before. And as a result of that, there's a, there's a squeeze and there's just not much money. So you need to have low-priced players. So there's, there's two ways you can do that. You can get young players because by definition, the CBA mandates that they're all under a million dollars, or you can get veterans that are on the tail end that are, you know, they had a good career, but now they're just trying to stay in the league and they'll take the league minimum to, to have a contract. 
those are kind of your two options for, for many teams. And I think the way we're looking at it and not every team, but most teams are is it's, it makes more sense to invest in that young guy. They're both the same price, right? You, you can get a guy who's 32 who will play for 800,000, or you can get a 20 year old and the 20 year old is probably not as good as that 32 year old for that night's game. But you give them five months that the 32-year-old is really not going to be any better. If anything, they might drop off or stay the same. But the 20-year-old, you give him five months, and if you can work with him, he could become an asset, a a better player over time. So it's worth the investment in trying to develop them. But I think the hard part is some of the veterans are saying, yeah, but that's not how it was when I was coming up. Like, I didn't get this opportunity. (laughs) I had to... I stayed in the minors for a couple of years. Like this is, this isn't fair. They're not wrong. It, it, it the, but the game has changed. So we're just, yeah. we're looking at the game the way it is, which is in 2020, we've got to try to find low price players. And uh, we think the path forward is to invest in those young guys who quite frankly, a lot of them aren't really ready, um, but we need to get them ready. And that's the NHL in the modern era. So you know, I think that's something that it, it is what it is. We're just dealing with it. We didn't set this system up or we didn't necessarily want it to go this way. But this is the way that we think makes most sense given where we're at. And I think the defining part of this entire um, rebuild as it's been branded, but what I, I look at as more of a reset, you still have multiple time Stanley Cup champions on this roster, the Patrick Kane's, the Jonathan Taves, the Duncan Keiths, they're not going anywhere. They're still going to be a key part of this roster. And if you can get some of these young guys to really complement and fill in around them in the next year or two, this is a roster that that could be back in that elite tier of NHL teams within a couple years based heavily just around those three players alone. And like Patrick Kane is a fine wine. He's getting better with age. He's putting up career numbers year after year. I mean, that's a really important piece of this whole thing. You're not you're not tearing it down to the studs because there's a really good core in place as well. You're just trying to elevate that core to the next level. That's right. I mean, even even Jonathan had his best year ever, I think, at age 30, you know, if, if offensively. So, you know, these guys are both, you're right, Kaner's a uh, you know, dynamic player still. He's still one of the most creative players in the whole league. Like, I I agree with you. He seems to be getting better each year, which it's, it's odd. I think that's not the way it normally goes. As guys get into the thirties, they can sometimes maintain their level, you know, into their mid thirties. These guys seem to be, you know, really pushing themselves and improving. So I think that's, that certainly bodes well for the future. And we need to give them some better support and cast, which is what we're trying to do. It's just going to come in the form of a young player who emerges as opposed to bringing in, you know, an established star player. It, it's not that I would love to do that. I mean, it'd be great to be able to in that position. You know, we, if we can get the, the cap situation or we might be in a position in a couple of years, if we develop enough of these young players, um, we might have some ability. We're not quite there yet to, to do that, but it's, there's nothing wrong with adding established star players. It's just really hard to fit it all in with today's salary cap. 
Well, it's all incredibly interesting to watch from the outside. I'm sure it's even more interesting to be a part of on the inside, making all those moves, looking at not only what the roster is going to look like this year and two, three, four, five years from now. Um, we appreciate you giving us some time today to give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain um, and and really share with the fans that this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen in the next few years. And um stick along for the ride because I think it's going to be a, a fun and rewarding one down the road uh, when when these young players, as we've seen, continue to grow, continue to get better. And if the right mix is there in a couple years, whenever this is ready to go, look out. Yeah, we, we look at it that way. I, I do think there's a lot of fun in, in, along the ride. I mean, the, the young players – they may make some mistakes, but they, they usually have a lot of excitement and energy. They want to be in the league. That's what you've dreamed of your whole life. So we know we're going to get a lot of uh, effort from them. You're going to, you're going to get, you know, some mistakes along the way, but I think that's part of the process here is you know, being honest that we, we believe in these young players. We want to give them the opportunity and we also want to see uh, progress from them. You know, like that we want them to take those steps forward and play a, a larger role in our team in the coming years. Well, we'll let you get some rest. We know you've done a lot of talking in the last uh, week and a half and, and explaining this new mindset, explaining the recent moves that have taken place. Uh, please take maybe an hour or two off uh, at some point, Stan, and uh, try to reset and uh, pick the phone right back up because I know that's what you love to do. Uh, yeah, that's been fun talking here. And you're right. Well, we'll get a few days off, but uh, there's, there's plenty of work ahead of us here. Well, that's Stan Bowman for Adam Burrish. I'm Carter Baum. Uh, thank you, Stan, once again for joining us. It's It's been a great conversation and I'm sure we'll chat soon and have a great uh, have a great rest of the day and great rest of the week. Thanks, you too. That will do it for this week's episode. Once again, a thanks to Stan Bowman for joining us for Adam Burrish, I'm Carter Baum. We'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider presented by Chevy Drive Chicago. Drive what Kane and Taves drive.